Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Well, hello everyone and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and hope you're having a good day. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Always appreciate that. Here's what we're going to be talking about on today's program. A lot of focus on these competing COVID assistance packages in Congress. You've got the House version with $3 trillion. You've got the Senate version with $1 trillion. And it sounds like uh, negotiators are far apart on coming up with something in the middle. Not only do you have differences over the amount to be spent, but also who will oversee, when it comes to the ag portion of it, who will oversee who gets the money? Does USDA, in the Senate version, USDA would pretty much get the money and then make the decisions on who gets it, whereas the House, especially Colin Peterson, chairman of the House Ag Committee, wants more oversight and more restrictions and more say on how that money is spent and not just leave it up to USDA entirely. So that is a big sticking point between the two sides, the amount and how the money would be uh, sent out. So we're going to be talking about that on the program today. We're going to get some thoughts from the dairy industry and from the renewable fuels industry. We'll be talking with Paul Blyberg, Vice President of Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. We'll first look at the two uh, competing bills and what's in it for dairy, what's in each of them for dairy, and which do uh, dairy, which one of those does the dairy industry prefer and get their thoughts on these negotiations. And then Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association will be joining us because the ethanol industry certainly has a lot at stake here. The need for assistance and do they trust a system where it would just the money go to USDA without any real assurances that USDA would then be giving any of that money out to the ethanol industry. They were left out of CFAP. So you can understand they have concerns about if that is the procedure used again. So we'll talk with Jeff Cooper about that a little bit later on in today's program. Also, of course, as we've been telling you, the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days events have been canceled for this year. But they are going to have a virtual show, basically, with cameras out in the field and uh, the demonstrations that will be going on and uh, some, some things with exhibitors. So we'll talk with Matt Youngman, National Events Director for Farm Progress, and uh, find out more of the details that they have now released on how this virtual show will work and how you can access that information. So we'll get the very latest on that a little bit later on in the program. Also in the news today, China has rejected the U.S. position that China has failed to comply with that 2019 World Trade Organization ruling against Chinese price supports for wheat and rice farmers in that country, subsidies that the U.S. farmers say hurt international trade. Now, the U.S. requested WTO authorization to hit China with some countermeasures worth about $1.3 billion. And China has come out strongly against the request and did so during the meeting yesterday of the WTO's dispute settlement body. So yet another conflict between the U.S. and China. This one over um, 
a ruling made by the WTO a couple years ago and claims by the U.S. that China is not abiding by that ruling. So we'll see where that goes, but it increases the tensions between the U.S. and China and further puts into doubt and brings into question whether or not China will even get close to the levels agreed upon in the phase one trade deal as far as ag purchases. So we will continue to watch that and see just uh, where that might lead to and how close that China may or may not get. Already a lot of concern that uh, the phase one deal is in big trouble, but we also note that China has still been making those purchases. So as long as uh, they're making the purchases, I guess uh, it's one thing to talk about it, but uh, everyone's just kind of nervous about it and cautious about it and wondering how far along this trade deal will go. Also, um, as we take a look at some of the other items in the news, we are uh, keeping a close watch on um, not only what's going on in Washington, D.C., but of course around the country with uh, COVID-19. And just wanted to let you know that tomorrow we are going to have a conversation with Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. As you've probably heard, Zippy Duvall has been battling the coronavirus. He tested positive for it. He's been recovering from it and is getting better. The prognosis is good. He seems to be doing well and able to do some things uh, virtually, participated in meetings and such. But uh, he's going to be joining us uh, tomorrow. We're going to be talking over with Zippy and get his thoughts on what it's like to have the coronavirus, or what it's uh, you know what that battle's like and how his recovery is going and he'll give us an update plus we'll get his thoughts tomorrow on these competing packages in congress over the covid assistance so it'll be interesting to hear from uh, someone who's actually battling the virus who has it and is dealing with it what it's like to deal with it and uh, what uh, he has gone through so that'll be coming up on tomorrow's program Again, this battle over the uh, assistance package for COVID-19, as we mentioned, big differences between the House and the Senate. And it sounds like we may be quite a ways away in some aspects from this getting uh, completely worked out. Now, there's some unemployment aspects of things that uh, need to be dealt with fairly quickly because some benefits running out. Of course, there's a big debate over how much assistance they should get, the big concern about people making more money by not working than if they were working and some things like that they have to work out. But it looks like this may go on for a while as they try to work through all these differences. We've, they've got a kind of a target date of August 7th, I believe it is, before they adjourn for the August recess. You wonder if maybe they will stay past that to try to get all this worked out. But certainly some big differences uh, to work through these things can sometimes happen quickly, but right now they've got a lot to deal with, and uh, agriculture is very much in play in these talks and in these discussions, and we're going to get more on that on our program today. And again, we note from yesterday's program, all these discussions about more aid and more assistance coming at a time when there's still money to be sent out in the CFAP, Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. We talked yesterday with Richard Fordyce. FSA administrator, as of Monday, they've sent out $6.5 billion of the $16 billion that they have to send out. So on one hand, we're 
talking about getting more aid. On the other hand, we're talking about getting out the aid that has already been approved. And, of course, for the ethanol industry, the biofuels industry, they did, they were not part of CFAP. So that's why they are looking so hard at getting in this one, not wanting to miss out on the assistance that will be available in whatever package is decided upon. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll find out how the dairy industry feels about these two competing packages in Congress. We'll talk with Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, good to talk with you again. We have these competing bills now in the in Congress, the uh, House $3 trillion bill and the Senate $1 trillion bill. From a dairy perspective, which one do you like more? Well, thanks, Mike, for having me on. It's good to be here. Um, you know, the two bills, as, as you know, have some major differences in them, not just relating to agriculture, but, but uh, across the board. There are quite a few major issues to be resolved. The House Passed Heroes Act has some very beneficial provisions for dairy. It, of course, sets up another round of direct payments to reflect quarter two losses. And importantly, those payments, you know, they don't prescribe payment limits attached to them in the statute, which is very good. There's also a very good uh, framework there on dairy donation that we can work with, as well as some enhancements related to the dairy margin coverage program, and of course, the needed increase in SNAP, given the the situation that we're in right now in the pandemic. The Senate proposal has, you know, the funding in there for another round of, I I guess, another round of direct payments. It doesn't have nearly as many specifications around it, so it's less clear what would happen if that language would become law. You know, I think from our view, what we want to see is you know, another round of payments that reflect the losses producers have faced that are fair to farmers of all sizes, which you said before, in addition to, you know, in relation to things like payment limits, if farms of all sizes have faced these major losses. And so it's really important to us that you have a payment system that reflects that. And also, frankly, that's fair to farmers of all different operational structures. That may be something we don't hear about as much, but uh, there's a lot of dairies around the country that are structured differently, incorporated differently. And we want to make sure that if two dairies are right next to each other and experience the same losses, that one is not unfairly, you know, penalized by the program on account of how they're set up relative to another one. So that's a very granular topic we're trying to work on. So those are the priorities we'd like to see on direct payments. Obviously, we'd like to see dairy donation included, the DMC enhancements, as well as the uh, the nutrition increase. So, you know, I think the, the House package obviously lays out much more of that and, and has a lot of the specifics that are there for dairy. The Senate package, I look at it as sort of a work in progress right now. I think you know, we are hopeful that a lot of these dairy items will come into the conversation as the negotiations really kick up in earnest. And, you know, obviously it remains to be seen where a lot of this gets sorted out. And I imagine the, the nutrition piece will be discussed quite a bit as well. I've seen some comments already from some Senate Republicans indicating that they're open to considering something there. So I think we're hopeful that that's in play, too. Yeah, yesterday when we talked with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council, he was kind of saying the same thing as far as uh, he wanted more details, more structure about how the money would actually go out than what the uh, Senate bill is calling for. And I would... He made this point, and I would I would agree. I would think even USDA would want more structure, uh, you know, and guidance on how to get that money out. 
Uh, you know, you, you, you would think so, obviously. It certainly makes the work easier if you lay out the parameters up front, and I think that's what's so important to us about the HEROES Act is that, it, you know, you can tweak individual pieces of it as you go, but it, it has a direct payment program spelled out. It has a dairy donation program. It has other pieces in there that are very important. And I think in a situation like this where you have so many problems across the entire economy, you really want to look carefully at what the needs are and make them clear, and I think the House package does a nice job of doing that. You know, we can keep talking about some of the nitty-gritty issues around payments that we want to resolve, but I think their framework is very strong. Um, you know, the Senate package, like I said, it's only been out for a few days, and it, it's very uh, general as it relates to ag. I think our hope there is that some of these specifics will really come into play. We're talking with Paul Bleiberg with the National Milk Producers Federation. Yesterday, Paul, when I talked with Richard Fordyce, FSA administrator, about the fact that only 6.5 billion of the 16 billion of CFAP money has gone out, and he said he feels that producers are busy with some other things uh, that may slow their the application process. But Nick Giordano with the pork producers said, from a pork industry perspective, he pointed more to cumbersome restrictions and uh, you know challenges to to get the application in and get approved and all that. So he pointed more to the process. From a dairy perspective, what are your thoughts on on how CFAP is going as far as getting the assistance out to dairy producers? That's a good question. We've gotten some positive feedback on the different parts of the country about the payments. I think there we have heard a number of states with FSA delays on the ground, and that you know that may be a function of just the process playing out and a lot of people applying at one time and all of that has to sort itself out. And then, of course, there may be some element here of either the payment limitations or business structure issues, like I mentioned earlier, coming into play. And, of course, that, that may not have an impact on the number of people signing up, but it could have an impact on how much any one operation or any one person gets. And so if you kind of add that into the mix, there could be some residual impact there. Is CFAP helping dairy producers? Yeah, I think it's provided very important help in a time like this. And, you know, the the year was shaping up to be one of the a better year, probably the best year since 2014, because we've had five really difficult years. And then, you know, in the first quarter when the pandemic hit, uh, that outlook changed, obviously. And while there's been some improvement in, the, you know, on account of uh, changes in the more recent uh, weeks, you know, that, that may not necessarily hold. And so it is very important that we have that payment uh, that's been going out. And that's what I say. It's also very important that this next round of payments, however it ends up being structured, continue to reflect the actual losses producers have faced. The HEROES Act spelled out that the next round of payments should be based on quarter two losses, and that's really important because certainly for us, that first half of quarter two, um, April and much of May, was very, very difficult. You had a lot of milk being dumped in different parts of the country, and you know, there's been some adjustments since then, but to, to account for that is still really important. Huge debate across the country about reopening schools this fall for in-person learning and whether it's safe to do that or you know various hybrid models that are being discussed and things like that that has one of the many aspects of that is the impact it would have on your industry i mean if kids aren't back in school and and there aren't the the school lunch programs and things going again that certainly impacts dairy doesn't it there'd be some impact i think we have seen though 
Mike, that over the course of the previous months when the, the schools closed down in the latter part of the, the previous school year, um, you know, milk was still being offered with every meal, even in, in the cases where the kids had to get it off-site or whatever, and, and there was some flexibility that USDA put in to allow shelf-stable milk and things like that. So obviously, there, you know, there could always be some impact there, but I think uh, with some of the COVID-specific waivers that have been put in place, and, you know, every effort certainly being made, and I know Congress is very sensitive to this too, to make sure that kids are still getting milk with meals when they're getting them. So, you know, I think you have to you have to find that balance with safety, obviously, given all the concerns uh, that are very real concerns about people being together in close quarters right now. Yeah. The secretary, Secretary Purdue, has talked a lot about the the food box program and the food that's gone out. Uh, through that uh, to people in need. How has much of a part has dairy played in that? So dairy has certainly been, you know, in a component of that program. I think uh, in, in some cases there hasn't been as much, um, as many bid, or purchases or bid, not purchases, I guess bids is the right term on dairy as we, we might have hoped. And I'm not sure if that's because of program specifications or what exactly. I think there's certainly been some positive from the program. I think we're generally favorable to any approach uh, to product purchases and getting, you know, products into the hands of people that will consume them. And again, that's why I mentioned the, you know, the SNAP increase earlier because that's a very effective and proven way to, to do that as well. So I think, you know, the the program, the food box program, has worked in some ways, and I think we're hopeful that it gets, you know, that it'll get this third round of funding that they've talked about for September and October, and that seems to be on track based on what we've seen in the last. Uh, in the last number of days here. But, you know, in some states, I think we've heard some concerns with with how, you know, different bids have been received and things like that. So I think we want to make sure that, that concerns like that are resolved as we go into the last tranche of the program, I guess. All right. So by all accounts, uh, members of Congress are far apart. The two sides are far apart on this uh, next package. But uh, it would seem they'll come up with something. Uh, trying to find that sweet spot in the middle, some kind of a compromise. From a dairy industry perspective, what will your uh, approach be in talking with both sides and trying to get something worked out? Well, you know, as I said earlier, Mike, our focus here is trying to get the most effective, uh, you know, additional round of, of direct payments that we can get, kind of based on the, the different, you know, points around reflecting losses producers face, being fair to farmers of all sizes, fair to farmers of different um, you know, ownership structures, also trying to work out something on dairy donation, and of course, you know, supportive of the different items that were in the HEROES Act as well on the kind of related to the dairy margin coverage, and then there's the nutrition piece, and some enhancements around the Paycheck Protection Program that we think are important. So I think we're going to continue talking about all of those items. Like I said, the HEROES Act has a lot of them already there. The Senate proposal is obviously a lot less specific right now, so I think our hope is that as these negotiations continue, and I realize that what happens on ag may be subject to what happens initially on these much broader items that need to be worked out, uh, that we'll be able to find a good uh, path forward. Yes, so you'll be talking with uh, members on both sides of the aisle to try to get that worked out. Paul, thank you for the update, and we'll see what they come up with. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Paul Blyberg, Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. The ethanol industry will be talking with members of Congress, too, to be part of this next package. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper with Renewable Fuels Association next. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. 
Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. So we wait to see what Congress uh, agrees upon for this COVID assistance package. We just heard from the dairy industry. Now let's check in with the renewable fuels industry. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association is with us. Jeff, good to talk with you again. All right. uh, So you have the House version. You have the Senate version. I want to get your thoughts on both from a renewable fuel standpoint. And let me start with this. Do you like the approach or trust the approach that the Senate is taking, basically give the ag money to USDA and let them divvy it out? Well, we've uh, already been through that once uh, in the CARES Act, so the, the, the Phase Three stimulus bill where USDA got $19 billion uh, from Congress with really no strings attached or, or no guardrails or direction with what to do with it, and ethanol was certainly left out of that round of emergency relief and so we don't see any reason why that wouldn't happen again if USDA is is handed a you know a check for 20 billion dollars this time uh with really no you know no direction or 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 guardrails from from the Senate uh you know they they did the framework that uh leader McConnell put out earlier this week does include a mention of agricultural processors um, as being eligible for uh, some of this funding, but uh, we still don't think, based on conversations we've had with USDA, that that's anywhere close to the level of specificity and direction they're looking for from Congress. We've heard from both the pork and dairy industries, two industries that did receive and are receiving money through CFAP, even they are saying they would like more specifics in the language than just say leave it up to USDA so uh, even those that have re- are receiving help now I can, certainly I can see your point from an industry that did not get any of the last time well that's right and and again I think USDA would also be on the list of, of people who, who want uh, specificity and, and direction from Congress on you know what processing industry should receive assistance uh, what commodities need need more help and more assistance? Certainly, USDA is going to have some some views, um, some well-informed views uh, on that. But I, they're looking for clear guidance from from Congress on what to do with this. I mean, there there are thousands, as you know, Mike, thousands of agricultural processors uh, out there covering everything from grain and oil seeds to fruits and vegetables to milk and nuts and and you know the list goes on and on. Uh, what is USDA is supposed to do for all of these processors, um, you know, and, and again, they have a, a finite uh, pot of funding, $20 billion. How much of that goes to processors versus how much of it goes to farmers? That's the sort of guidance we think the department is looking for, and, and certainly we as an industry are looking for that sort of clarity from Congress as well. Yeah, the term processors might open the door for you, but a lot of people are going to try to get through that door, so you don't know <laughs> right. how much it how much it would help. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, um, I've heard and read where some have said, uh, "Don't give assistance to the ethanol industry or question assistance to the ethanol industry because." The industry was already hurting before COVID-19, and so saying that, well, maybe this made it worse, but uh, there was already the effects of it before, and uh, you'd overproduce for the market and things like that. How do you respond to that? Well, I think it's a, a completely silly argument. Um, I mean, it's to, to say, well, you know, don't help them out because they were already in, in, in trouble before COVID-19 hit. 
I think is just a, a ridiculous statement. The, the, the reason that the ethanol industry was in trouble before COVID was also due to inaction by the government or, or certain actions by the government that haven't been helpful to our industry at all. Uh, you look at uh, the, the loss of, of our key export markets, China being at the top of the list there. Um, you look at uh, EPA's com- complete and utter mismanagement of the Renewable Fuel Standard Program. That's why the industry was uh, already uh, suffering economic harm before COVID-19 hit. Uh, but I will tell you, uh, the, the pandemic greatly exacerbated uh, the economic pain being felt in the industry, and, and we saw a collapse in demand that was completely unprecedented and, and, and like nothing else we've ever seen. So um, we certainly think that that argument is nonsensical, and, and we hope others uh, see right through that as well. One of your champions, Senator Grassley, had told us earlier in the week that uh, he had has been unable to this point to get any kind of a commitment from Secretary Purdue on assistance for the uh, yep. renewable fuels industry. Now, certainly maybe the Secretary didn't want to come out and talk about it now because then you'd have, you know, everybody coming at him and saying, what about us, what about us? So mm-hmm. I can understand that to a certain degree, but that has to make you somewhat nervous, right? Uh, to, to Again, getting back to, we'll, we'll just trust uh, USDA to, to make sure we're in there. Well, yeah, it certainly makes us nervous because, again, if you look at the CARES Act and the CFAP uh, payments that came out of that, uh, Secretary Purdue said, well, yeah, yeah, we would have liked to have helped the renewable fuels industry, uh, but there just wasn't enough to go around, number one. And number two, uh, they're really questioning, you know, and again, we, we disagree with this, but they're questioning uh, their authority uh, to use CCC uh, funding to, to help processors uh, downstream of, of the farm. So, um, you know, we're, we're greatly concerned that those same arguments would come up again. And I think Senator Grassley's, um, you know, statement uh, and, and conversations he's had earlier this week with the secretary really underscore exactly what we're saying. Uh, USDA needs specific guidance. They need specific direction from Congress uh, in order to, to make sure assistance is getting to where it is needed the most. Uh, in, in this round of funding. All right, let's switch over to the other agency you have to deal with so much and have a lot of concerns with. That is EPA. Any word on uh, what they plan to do with these retroactive waivers that uh, they're looking at? Well, Mike, we you know we're we're now less than a hundred days away from the election, and uh, it feels more and more every day like EPA just wants to drop back and punt. And they don't want to make any hard decisions on any RFS-related issues prior to the election. Uh, they're, they're just going to sit on their hands and try and wait this thing out. Uh, and the excuse they're using is, well, you know, the Supreme Court may decide to review this Tenth Circuit decision, and we we sure want to wait until the Supreme Court, um, you know, looks at that uh, and decides whether they want to review that case or not before we make any decisions on you know, small refiner exemptions and adoption of the Tenth Circuit decision. And, of course, that's all intertwined with the RVO rules. And so they're saying we can't do the 2021 RVO rule until we sort out the small refiner exemptions. And so the whole thing is just all related, and it's one big mess. And I think, uh, you know, they're doing everything they can to just keep, uh, you know, playing four corners and, and try to run out the clock on this thing. Yeah, if if you're using that as your logic, that it may go to the Supreme Court or be appealed, then why would any lower court ruling stand? I mean, everyone would say, well, let's just take everything straight to the Supreme Court. 
Oh, exactly. And and the, the odds of the Supreme Court taking up this case for review, taking up this decision, are slim to, slim to none. Um, you know, it was a unanimous decision. There's no split decision for the Supreme Court to review. Uh, and it's just, you know, one of those things that uh, is likely not on their radar, not considered uh, important enough for them to take up when they've got um, a huge backlog on their docket of, of you know, other cases that, that, that do need their review. Um, so it, it is just, a, you know, a lame excuse in, in my mind uh, for EPA to continue hiding behind um, because they don't want to make controversial decisions prior to the election. And, you know, we've been saying all along, you need to make, you need to decide what you're doing with small refiner exemptions. You need to decide what you're doing with the 10th Circuit case, the 2021 RVO. You need to do all that before the election, uh, because if you kick the can, well, now there's no consequences for bad behavior. And, and now there's no, no opportunity for voters to hold the administration accountable for its decisions. And if they really wanted to help, like they say they have, uh, support, be supportive of the ethanol industry, the renewable fuels industry, this gave them perfect cover. All they would have had to done was say, the court said what we Absolutely. were doing was wrong, so we had to make the change. I mean, it seems to me, instead of uh, waiting till after the election to try to avoid you know, political uh, pressure from this or consequences, the court gave them an out on it. It, it absolutely does. I mean, I, it, you know, we, we, I am still shocked uh, that EPA didn't, didn't take what was handed to them on a platter and say, look, you know, and, and turn around to the oil refiners and say, look, guys, uh, we've tried everything to help you out. We, we've, you know, we've done small refiner exemptions. We've, we've, every loophole you can think of, we have helped you out. But the court told us we got to stop, and so we're done. Um, they, they had every opportunity to do that. That decision came out six months ago now at the end of January, uh, and here we sit today with just more uncertainty, uh, more confusion about how EPA is managing this program. So you wait on that. You wait on see what Congress is going to do with the assistance package. In the meantime, uh, uh, things aren't getting a whole lot better, are they? I mean, real quick, Jeff, uh, we saw a little bit of a rebound, but now with these spikes in coronavirus, uh, what's fuel demand yeah. like right now? Well, we, we did see the, the uh, Department of Energy data that came out just yesterday showed that last week we had the highest uh, level of, of ethanol production since the third week of March, so we do continue to see that recovery. But gasoline consumption seems to have hit a wall. You know, we saw that nice recovery uh, for several weeks, but things have really flatlined in the last six weeks, and ethanol production's kind of done the same thing. We've sort of hit that wall. So... You know, now we're seeing ethanol prices sinking again and margins have gotten razor thin again. So uh, it is. It's a scary time for the industry. That's part of, I'm sure, the case you'll be making to members of Congress as they uh, debate uh, these packages. Jeff, thank you very much. Thanks for the update. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Take, take care. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we learn about the virtual Farm Progress Show that's coming soon. We'll tell you about it next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. When last we talked with Matt Youngman, Farm Progress National Events Director, we were he was telling us that uh, they are working on, they were working on a virtual show this year and that uh, 
he would have more details for us. Well, now we have some of those details, and Matt joins us again. Thanks for being with us, Matt. What can you tell us? How is this going to work, your virtual Farm Progress show? Well, we're, we're excited. Uh, you know, we've, we've completely pivoted, and now we are becoming virtual trade show people as opposed to huh. worrying about what we'd normally be worrying about, which is tent, tents flying and traffic routes and, and bathrooms and field demos in person. Now we're in this virtual event, and we've actually just now begun to capture some of the content that, that folks are going to be able to view on September 15th, 16th, and 17th. And, um, you know, in addition to what you might consider the normal components, which is, you know, a really exhaustive great big exhibitor list, which we'll have that you can sort by category and that kind of thing, we're actually adding as much live content to it as possible. So we're going to have a couple of, or, or you know, live in act live action activity we're going to have two two one full week in grand island another full week in the acres that we have and have all these companies truck their equipment in and bring their representatives to speak about it and and we've been working you know with the health departments to make sure that we can we can do this little event safely um you know we're going to bring in bring in the media and allow them to have interaction with our exhibitors that are that are there on site in Grand Island and Boone, and then you know, capture all this and bundle it all up and get it produced. And, and we're going to do a, a video for every single one of the 600 exhibitors and post that on their their exhibit site, the virtual experience, um, and get that all bundled up and then roll it out over the course of September 15th, 16th, and 17th. And then, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that you have to sit in front of your computer for three straight days to see it all. You know, there will be things that you might want to see over those three days right when they – and it's all going to remain available through the fall, winter, and spring of next year. So something that the Farm Progress Show has never been or Husker Harvest Days has never been is a, is a reference tool where if you are in the market for a head shoot in December or you're in the market cornhead or all car line at the elevator you're going to be able to go to this virtual experience and watch all those demos whenever you want to and and make your kind of use utilize this event as the top of the sales funnel to, to sort out what you like and what you don't like so it, it's certainly something kind of new and unique uh, a unique way to approach a trade show so basically, at both sites, Boone, Iowa, and Grand Island, Nebraska, you're going to go out and do the field demonstrations, but you'll have the cameras there. You'll capture that information. It'll be available uh, uh, for people to watch virtually, but also, as you said, it'll be there so they can go back and watch it uh, whenever they want to. Um, logistically... interesting about that... Well, one thing I'd add there, Mike, is, is that you know when we have the live event, our number one concern is safety. You know, our number one concern when we're holding field demonstration of the, the growers. But if we don't have any growers, that means we can fly that drone right there in the face and put GoPros in all kinds of crazy places to capture things that otherwise that you just could not even possibly see in a regular field demonstration. So nothing is as good as live, and we can't wait to go back to live in, in August of, of 2021. But... We're going to do the very best we can to give all these growers to view this equipment and make reasonable comparisons between all these different competitors that are all competing 
on the same ground on the same day, just like they do at the at our shows. Yeah. So again, with all the exhibitors, so you know a lot of people go to the Farm Progress Show or Husker Harvest Days. They spend time in those tents talking with uh, representatives from the different companies. So that information, each of those companies, each of those exhibitors will have something up on on the site as well. So uh, folks can go there and say, I want to go to company A, company B, whatever, and see what they have. I, I could do that. Yep, that, that's exactly right. It, it, we, will, we will have merged, merged the two exhibitor lists between Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. And at the very least, every one of those exhibitors is going to have a video, you know, with a, a, a interview video with one of our editors talking about what you would have seen at their exhibit. So at least at least every one of those exhibitors is going to have the opportunity to, um, you know, tell their story and make their case and give folks the opportunity to reach out and, and, and get in contact with them and have conversations. And it's, it's not just an A to Z list of exhibitors. Obviously, you can sort it if you, you know, if you want to, if you want to look at all the companies that do inoculants or, or what it would be, you're going to be able to, to click and sort and, and find your way and sort down. So it's not this ominous 600 person list. It's a, it, it's a, a useful tool to sort it out and, and get done what you want to do. So what site will that be? Where will they go to see all this? The site itself. We just got it locked down. It's going to be fpvexp.com. But what I'm telling people is every one of the Farm Progress sites, whether you visit Farm Futures or Farm Progress Show or Husker Harvest Days, any one of those is going to link to that. So, um, And it's going to be hitting your email inbox as we, as we go through the summer, and, uh, and obviously we'll be hitting it real hard. Um, you know, We're inviting all kinds of different media to come to cover the, the – the, the taping days that we're having. So you're going to be hearing about this kind of coming at you from a number of different angles. So it'll be easy to find um, nothing really to do there now, other than get yourself registered so that you get some reminders in your inbox when the thing is going to start going live. All right. So the dates, it'll be live September 15, 16 and 17. Is that right? That, that's exactly right. It's going to, we've got, we've got, you know, Four, three full days worth of content, you know, and, and we've talked a lot about field demonstrations. We've talked a lot about uh, exhibitors, but lots of content as well, packing right. that site over those three days. Okay. We'll keep reminding folks as we get closer. Good to talk with you again, Matt. Thanks for the information. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right. A lot of work in putting that together, but at least you'll be able to see that, uh, all that, what you would have seen, you'll be able to see uh, on site, on a virtual uh, Farm Progress show this year. Have a great day, everyone.